This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. Linda Cohen along with you. Well, according to the Centers for Disease Control, suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the United States for all ages. The suicide rates decreased from 1990 to 2000 from 12.5 suicides per 100,000 to 10.5 per 100,000. However, over the past decade, the rate is once again on the rise. We'll hear with more on all of this and local suicide prevention efforts are Cheryl Giarusso. She's the program director, and Stephanie Lewis is the program manager for Contact Community Services Crisis Intervention Services Program. Welcome to you both. Thanks for coming in, Cheryl and Stephanie. I appreciate it very much. So, Cheryl, let me start with you. Suicide is on the rise again. Tell us about that. Uh, well, we certainly see that as a as a problem when we answer the phones. We're um, answering over 100 calls a day. Many of them are from folks who are highly suicidal, and, um, and it could be uh, stress-related, economic problems. You know, it's really hard to say because we get calls from um, people of all ages and all backgrounds. So Contact Community Services has a hotline, mm-hmm. and you're getting those kind of immediate, basically, crisis is crisis intervention and mm-hmm. people are calling out of desperation and that and you're just seeing it in your little kind of um, perspective of, of what is a much more global problem. It is and we do answer local calls but we also answer calls throughout the country so um, we are seeing it in our neighborhood but we're also seeing it uh, across America. So Stephanie who's most at risk? I mean, is there a demographic these days? I I mentioned that the stats suggest that it's the 10th leading cause of death for Mm -hmm. all ages, Mm -hmm. but... Um, I think that we hear a lot about certain groups that are at high risk. You know, veterans is one that's brought up a lot. One of the groups that is at high risk that people don't think about is the elderly. So the elderly have a suicide rate that's about... um, 50 deaths per 100,000 compared with that 12 to 14 that you mentioned earlier. Um, So that's a group that's really, really in need of people reaching out to them, and it's not a group that people think about a lot. Um, Teens are also at high risk. They, suicide is the 10th leading cause across all age groups. For um, people 15 to 24, it's the third leading cause. And for, yeah. and so, you know, you hear about these groups and, and middle-aged men are at high risk. There's a lot of groups that are you hear about more often, but we like to think of it as it's a problem that everyone could face at some time or another. So we don't def- necessarily want to target a specific group when we're doing suicide intervention because it's a public health issue. I want to get to, um, I want to talk a little bit about whether you think some of the changes in our society and communication have played a role. So what strikes me right off the bat is this whole notion of the internet. Cyberbullying has mm-hmm. been in the in the news of late repeatedly mm-hmm. with stories of of suicide, you know, following that kind of an event. What's your take on that? I think that you know, we think of bullying in the past as something that happened at school or when you were walking home from school, but when you got home, you were safe. You were in a place where hopefully your, you know, your family was a supportive environment for you. Um, one of the things we're seeing with cyberbullying is it doesn't stop. So 24-7, people are connected to their phones, connected to their internet. So it really just wears, I think it's wearing kids down more than a, a typical bullying situation used to. And it's, 
something that exists forever. So if something's happening online, people can take a picture of it and post it and it, it doesn't necessarily go away. Um, and a lot of times when you hear about suicides related to cyberbullying, there's also other things going on. It's not solely cyberbullying, but it does play a role when you're you're being picked on hour after hour, it's day very after day. Powerful. Yeah. We're gonna talk a little bit later about what some of the social media uh, outlets are going to do about or trying to do about it. But Cheryl, what are some of the common misconceptions that people have around suicide? Um, the biggest misconception is that if you ask the question, you will plant the thought. Um, that is totally untrue. Uh, we find that asking the question often brings a real sense of relief to the person who's had thoughts of suicide because they feel as if they, you know, they can't talk to their family about it because it, it's it's kind of shocking. They can't really talk to their friends about it. They, there's really no outlet. And if they only had someone willing to allow them to talk about how bad they feel, it really would bring them. It brings them a sense of relief. So really, asking the asking the question, it's planting the idea, is the biggest misconception. So this idea of also either confronting a person or, as you say, talking about it would somehow make them angry and make the problem grow greater is absolutely dead wrong. We never find that to be the case. It really brings a sense of relief when you allow a person to talk about how awful they feel. How about the idea that only an expert can really prevent suicide? I mean, is it, that's, I think, a really critical idea. You know, I need a professional to help here. Uh, anyone who's a good listener and is willing to allow you to talk and uh, kind of let your feelings out is the person who can help to prevent suicide. You don't need to be an expert. You need to be someone who maybe is willing to ask the question and if you're unable to take it from there, willing to connect the person at risk with someone who can help them. So any one of us can help to prevent suicide simply by allowing a person to, to talk about it. Stephanie, what about this idea that once someone decides they're going to commit suicide, that's it? No one can intervene. Mm -hmm. Is that a misconception as well? Yeah. Um, we talk about suicide as a journey a lot. So it's something that usually starts with a thought. Um, and then if it may stay at a thought for forever. Some people have daily thoughts of suicide and never act on them. Um, but the next step would be potentially making a plan or getting the means. And then the final step would be potentially an action. Um, so really, you can intervene at, at any point along that journey. Um, and we, we do a risk assessment to decide at what point that person is when, on their journey. And that's how you decide how to intervene. Some people who are, are planning on attempting and planning on doing it immediately, they might need a higher level of help or a higher level of intervention, but it, you can still intervene and people can still um, come back and and live a healthy life after. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm Linda Cohen along with suicide prevention experts Cheryl Giarusso and Stephanie Lewis of Contact Community Services. And we're talking about the warning signs of suicide and what can be done. So what are the warning signs? How do you know? I mean, what could you be seeing and not realizing, either of you? Um, a person at risk will begin to behave differently than what you have 
known them to behave like. So you may see things, you may feel things, you may sense things, you may learn things about a person that are different from what you know about that person. So when, when a person is behaving differently than what you expect them to be doing, then you ask the question. So you, you're looking for clues, and they could be behavioral, they could be um, messages. Um, well, give me an example. For example, Stephanie, or either of you, Cheryl or Stephanie, if, for example, someone's, I've heard this in the past, someone starts giving away some of their mm -hmm. most prized possessions, you know, or um, going out maybe even on a spending spree yeah. where they, um, you know, obviously won't have any um, consequences for that type of behavior. I, mm -hmm. I mean, are there things that you, that are, I don't want to say typical because nothing's really typical, but what what are some things that could be kind of real triggers? Yeah, so definitely giving away prized possessions. We hear that among all age groups when people are thinking about suicide. Um, also, getting things together for after they're dead, like getting together a will or figuring out who they want to leave certain things to once they're gone, um, wrapping up any kind of finances, closing out accounts, doing that kind of thing. So um, those would maybe clue you into something yeah. that's going on. Isolating behavior too. Mm -hmm. um, just avoiding being with the people that you're generally with. Isolating is a, is a big clue. So what's most helpful? I mean, what, what should you do? I mean, let's say you see it, you feel it, you sense it, something's going on. You ask the question because you're brave enough to say, I can make a difference. Mm -hmm. What should you be doing after that? I think once you ask the question, you might want to take a deep breath because you know, you may hear, yes, I am thinking of suicide. If you're willing to listen and you feel able, then let the person talk. Let the person explain why they're feeling as bad as they're feeling. Allow them to get it out. If you feel you're not able to listen, maybe you're too close to that person and it's upsetting, then get the person to, to a professional or someone else who is able to listen and provide that person with the opportunity to talk. A lot of times just letting them tell their story helps them process what's been going on and you'll find that as they begin to talk they kind of find their own reasons to live in there. They find the strengths, they find the things that keep them going and you can talk about those after they've also had the chance to tell you why they want to die. Is there something you should not be saying? I mean are there, there real like definite prohibitions? I mean, are, I mean is there anything to worry about that you might say that could either make them kind of, you know, jump off the edge, so to speak? I think as long as you're planting seeds of hope and you're saying, I'll be there, I'm here, I care about you, you're important to me, um, I don't think you can go wrong. If you're, if you're willing to listen and show support, I think it's all good. Facebook now, and we talked about social media, has just begun a new initiative because mm -hmm. obviously they recognize that there are people posting things on their you know, on their their accounts that are tr potentially troublesome. Tell us a little bit about what that's going to be. Um, so Facebook now has created a suicide prevention committee, um, and you could always report posts on Facebook before and on a lot of social media sites, but they're kind of taking the next step, and um, when you report a post, you can mark whether or not it is self-harm or suicide-related. And so they have a special team of experts who will go in and look at the post um, and help you as the person, the caring person who wants to get this person help to either formulate a message um, of caring and hope to that person and also get them connected to potential resources. So when they log in again, um, from my understanding, they'll get a list of 
phone numbers they can call, maybe local counseling centers, anything that can be of help. Um, That'll be an interesting experiment to see if there's any efficacy in that. Mm -hmm. Just briefly, I don't want to run out of time, what kinds of services is contact offering or other local places in terms of really intervening? I mean, obviously, the caring the caring um, loved one is, is a crucial element or caring friend, but professionally, what seems to help and what kind of services are you offering? Well, we are available 24-7, but we also um, have... Um, a database that's resource rich so we can offer um, either to actively intervene or to provide um, resources for counseling um, oftentimes the best first step is to go to your um, primary care physician to rule out what could be um, physical health issues so um, we can make that suggestion and we do have a list of uh, counselors in the community that we can provide we also do a lot of community trainings. So for other people who are interested in learning more about suicide prevention, we have a range of trainings from one hour up to an intensive two-day training. So we go out to a lot of different um, organizations, schools, and we do those trainings with people. So what, in the little bit of time we have left, what really is most effective in terms of turning someone around, let's say even from a professional from professional help? I mean, is it group therapies, individual therapies? Is it just talk? I mean, mm -hmm. is it, what works? It really depends on the person. Um, some people are, find certain things more helpful and it may take a little while to find that one thing that's a good fit for each individual. But basically, do you think we have enough services? I think we're, we have a resource-rich community. Sometimes there's a wait um, but we do have uh, lots of good mental health counseling in the community. Well, I want to applaud both of you for the work you're doing. It's obviously crucially important, especially with suicide being on the rise. And um, like you said, a caring, someone who's willing to care and listen may be the single most important thing. But thank you both very much for coming in. My guests have been Cheryl Giarusso. She is the program director and Stephanie Lewis who is the program manager for Contact Community Services Crisis Intervention Services Program. Thanks for coming in. Thank I'm Linda you. Cohen. You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air.